So last time Andy spoke about um, Zechariah 12 and Psalm 83, and it kind of reminded me about talking about, because uh, it leads into, actually, I believe, the temple. Now, before I start this morning, I want to say that under Andy and Heidi's anointing, you are a really, really anointed church in two ways. We are an anointed church in two ways. One is that we really believe in the supernatural, believe in the power of God, see in the spirit, you know, the Lord turns up here, literally, yeah? Angels turn up here, literally. That's an awesome place to be and visit, and what a privilege it is. Not only that, but you're a well-informed church as well, both biblically and, you know, with prophetic eyes, seeing what goes on around the world. And that is absolutely vital, because there has never been a time, such a time like this, when we need to understand the signs of the signs, the signs of the times, yeah? So this morning, we're going to talk about... This bit of real estate, which is actually probably the most argued bit of real estate in the world. world. There's been more wars fought over that 36 acres than anywhere else in the world. And this is called the Dome of the Rock. And I'm going to talk to you about... Just tell the kids what it is. So the Dome of the Rock, this currently is a Muslim mosque. And it is built, I'll go into it why it was built there later, but it is one of the three most holy places in Islam. But it is also, and I will demonstrate, it is not, where the temple was meant to have been. So the concept of the temple has been something that's really uh, something that I've looked at over years. When I first got saved, and maybe I'll just throw this out, You know, you read the Bible very simply and literally, and I was reading the Bible and I understood that Mount Zion, the temple and the city of David were all in the same place. That's what I thought. Okay, and I will show you where the city of David is in a minute. And then I started reading the commentaries and they started to confuse me because everybody said this was Mount Zion and this is where uh, the temple was built. But how does that align with scripture when everybody, but everybody agrees where the city of David is? And that is something that I will talk about. Now, just to look at the history just of this place, the Dome of the Rock, as it's known these days, that was built um, around 690 and then AD, AD, and then the dome fell in about 100 years later and it had to be rebuilt. But if I can quote to you um, a guy called Azam al-Khatib, who is still alive right now, and he is the director of the trust that looks after this place. Yeah? And I will read what he says. It is a mosque. It is a mosque. This place belongs to the Muslim people, and no others have the right to pray here. If they try to take over the mosque... This will be the end of time. That's what radical Islam believes. If anybody dares invade that place, there'll be 1.2 billion Muslims heading towards that rock. That's why it's such a contested piece of land. And, you know, you have to remember that in 1967, that's when Jerusalem or East Jerusalem got retaken by the Israelis for the first time in 2,000 years, yeah? And Moshe Dayan, the then minister, 
within about 48 hours, decided to hand that back to the Muslims. Now, you have to ask yourself, in a political way, why did he do that? And most people think that if he hadn't, World War III would have started pretty quickly because the world's Muslims would have just descended on that place. So much do they think about that. And this place has been argued about for hundreds of years. And I guess everyone's heard of the Crusades. And, uh, you know, the Crusades were all started, really, because of this. And because the Muslims, <laughs> because the Muslims invaded and they wanted to take it back. There were particular situations that were, that were around that caused a pope called Urban II uh, to actually call together knights to uh, go to what they called the Holy Land, Israel. It was called Palestine in those days. And it took them three years to get there, by the way, and then they invaded. And in all, there are about nine crusades. And they finished about 1290. Depends who you read, but there are eight Richard or nine crusades. Yeah, R Richard, Richard the Lionheart was, it was probably the last crusader. And there were massacres on both sides, but you can see how much argument there has been over this place, yeah? Now jump into modern times, so you all know and we all know that Israel as a nation was reformed in 1948. And the events leading up to that and the, lead, the events surrounding that and since that have all been about Israeli-Arab argument, particularly over Jerusalem. And when you look at, say, the history of the Holocaust of the Jews, yeah, there is actually a guy that is called Hajj Amin al-Husseini, who was appointed as the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem by the British, who was probably one of the most evil men this world has ever known. He, ins he inspired and influenced Hitler to actually uh, start the Holocaust. So the Holocaust uh, was the um, name that we give to the attempted extermination of the Jewish race by Hitler. Okay. That, and so he killed in the gas chambers about six million Jews during World War II, which was before even I was born. And men, women and children were often taken to the gas chambers in Poland uh, by uh, trickery a lot of the time in trains and taken into the gas chambers. And the most famous one is called Auschwitz, or the most infamous one, I should say, was called Auschwitz. And there were eight million Jews in Europe at the beginning of World War II. And at the end of World War II, six million of them had died. So that gives you, and it's only recently in the last few years that the world population of Jews has now achieved or attained the level to which it was prior to the Holocaust. Now the, the Holocaust itself is a word that means um, something like sacrifice of blood or something like that. It's, it, it's a, it was a name invented peculiarly for this event. And what we mustn't forget is that the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem was actually involved in that. 
and he'd incited, in any case, during the formation of Israel in 47, 48, he'd incited the Arabs to rise up. He'd got a load of henchmen. They drove out the moderate Muslims. He uh, was uh, involved in, in one famous night where 133 Jews got killed around the Wailing Wall. And uh, when, uh, at, the, uh, at the end of the world of World War II, when he kind of, he'd gone to Italy, and he influenced Hitler, then came back. He still came back into Jerusalem. The British somehow didn't see him come back and still incited more riots. And in fact, he declared that he would see every Jew exterminated or driven out of Israel after World War II. He was totally committed to exterminating the Jews. And he is probably the author of a lot of this. Yeah, now I'm not a historian and I try very hard not to exaggerate or to uh, give wrong information, but that's my, my understanding. So I just want to take you back in history to this. How do I do this, Andy? Yeah, click it forward. Oh, now I need to stop this. This, I, I put... Oh, it did it. So... Oh yeah, no, I'll do it like this, that's fine. Um, oh. Use these arrows. Oh, the arrows. Ah, brilliant. Use that. Just point it at that. Ah, point it at that. Not at the screen. <laughs> okay. So, what I'm going to prove to you today, I hope, is actually that this is how Jerusalem really looked like before... Uh, Titus destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. I'm going to demonstrate to you that north of Jerusalem was actually the Fort Antonio Fortress, and in the middle of the city of David was the temple. And so who resided in the fortress? So the Roman soldiers and the Roman legion, and I'll show you that. But that was just a picture of, of uh, where I'm going. Just to demonstrate and show you where the city of David is. So this is Jerusalem as we know it. There's the Dome of the Rock there. So you saw it side on from this end just now. The Mount of Olives is here. This is the Kidron Valley. This is the Valley of Hinnom. This is the city of David. It's 12 acres. That, the Temple Mount, is 36 acres. Okay, I want you to remember that. This is a fulfilment of Micah 3.12. So there, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. That is really important. What we call the temple mound has never been overgrown with thickets, ever. History tells us that. So it begs the question, what are we talking about? And what is this bit of real estate that I've been pointing to? Now, just a little bit of history, okay, very briefly. But you will remember that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, that not one stone will remain unturned. So I'm going to ask the question then, why is the Wailing Wall still existing? So he prophesied that, and we know that scripture is absolutely true. You will also know that in AD 70, the Jews had so, oh, um, so upset the Romans 
that they came in and destroyed the city, AD 70. And not only did they destroy the city, they destroyed the temple, absolutely razed everything to the ground. But we still today would claim that the Wailing Wall is actually part of the temple. The city was so destroyed that actually, very quickly, people actually forgot where the temple was. And between the years 400 and 700, about four separate sites were proposed for the temple. There were several eyewitness accounts of Jerusalem over the next few hundred years, mainly by Christian pilgrims, well-documented and well-authenticated, that demonstrate that there was no temple and demonstrate that actually what they were seeing, the only thing that was surviving was Fort Antonio, which we read about, in, uh, which we see in the, in the te- on the Temple Mount, and that actually that that was the only building around, big building, occupying the whole of the Temple Mount. That's all these pilgrims saw. They repeatedly said that the temple had been destroyed. There are a couple of actual historians. So one of them was uh, a Roman historian, wrote that the temple had a natural spring. The temple mount, as we know it today, does not have a natural spring. Yes, it had artificial water taken to it by the Romans, and they built cisterns on Temple Mount, but it had no, and doesn't to this day, have a natural spring. So, um, Josephus, and I've been reading Josephus, you know Josephus was the Roman historian? Uh, sorry, Jewish historian, and he wrote about the history of the Jewish nation. And he's got uh, probably, you know, he's quoted extensively. And he very clearly in his description demonstrates that the fortress of the Roman legion was actually what we now call the Temple Mount. And there are indeed two bridges that actually left southwards from the temple, uh, from the uh, fort, going south towards the northern wall of Jerusalem. He very clearly describes that, and I've, I've read it myself. So there is a lot of circumstantial evidence of it. Now, sorry? Oh, yeah, sorry. So just briefly showing that David invaded the city of Zion, it's described in 2 Samuel 5. And we all know that uh, it was known as Jebus, and David captured the fortress of Zion and and called the city of David. And what's remarkable is that the Romans so destroyed the city of Jerusalem in AD 70 that the city of David was lost. Nobody actually was quite sure where it was until the late 19th century, when mainly British archaeologists, um, one of them was called Charles Warren, who was an, an army officer, he wanted to actually excavate under the Temple Mount what we call the Temple Mount, and the Muslims wouldn't let him. So he thought he'd go a bit further south. And he knew where the guy on spring was, and I'll show you that on a map in a minute. And he started excavating and came across something that's called Warren's Shaft. 
And a few years later, they discovered something that's quoted in the Bible called Hezekiah's Tunnel. And that really started, these were monumental discoveries because they knew they had found the lost city of David, which sits on the, on, on the picture that I just showed you. There are four temples we remember from scripture. There's Solomon's temple, there's Herod's temple, there is the third temple, which we'll talk about, which is the one that's going to be built very soon. And there's the fourth temple, which is the millennial temple, which we read about in Ezekiel, the last eight chapters. Though, so there's the four temples. We would argue that Herod's temple was just uh, increasing and improving Zerubbabel's temple that was built uh, around the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. That is just fulfilling what we said, that Jesus said, that everything would be destroyed. So, I just want to, just before I go on, just show you, how many people have gone to Jerusalem here? So most of you actually know where, where I'm talking about, I hope, but just for those who haven't been, this is looking from the Mount of Olives, which is just here, that's where Jesus ascended, Acts chapter 1. And this is the Kidron Valley as we see it now. This is where Fort Antonio was meant to be. This is the Western Wall, which is the Wailing Wall. But we would suggest this is where the temple is. The Ophel is just an extra little mountain. If you look at the original, I'll show you this in a minute, you will see that there are actually several mountains. There is what I would call Mount Moriah, the Ophel, and then a further mountain here. But of course, over thousands of years, all this has been kind of gradually raised up by buildings. So Mount Zion is here. It's the place where the temple is. And the Guyon Spring is just to the east of the walls of Jerusalem. So why did they build Hezekiah's Tunnel? The reason is because actually Jerusalem is a highly fortified wall, but the Guyon Spring was outside the city wall. So if you were being attacked, you had to get hold of your water. So how do you get hold of your water? You actually build a tunnel to take it to a pool. And that pool is called the Pool of Siloam. And the Pool of Siloam dwelt in the southwestern aspect, and you can see it today. The Guyon Spring is an intermittent spring. It gushes intermittently, which of course is another reason why you have a well, a large well or a, a pool, if you like. Uh, and of course, it provides continuous fresh water. And rabbinical teaching will tell you that purification has to be done with pure running water. That cannot be done on the Temple Mount where they have got cisterns which hold water. Yeah? You get me? So that's really important. Now going to this site, it's well, well, well documented that a Roman legion is 6,000 people, men, and they need about 4,000 supporting staff. And it's also been well worked out that the approximate size of a fort to hold 10,000 people is 36 acres. There's even a fort in this country that's 36 acres, I've looked it up, that will hold a whole legion. And so 
Traditionalists will tell you that this was the Temple Mount and that Fort Antonio was just in the corner. You can't hold 10,000 people in that sort of size. But this size, 36 acres, nicely fits with all other forts around the old Roman Empire which held legions. And they were all about 35, 36 acres. And this was the Roman 10th legion. Now, what's confused people is that Josephus, obviously written not in our tongue, has been translated into English by several authors. And two of the authors have chosen to translate the Greek for legion, tagma, into our word cohort. Now, a cohort of men is only 480. That can't be right for a number of reasons, including the fact that when Paul was taken to Caesarea, do you remember that? When he left Jerusalem, he had 470 men with him. You can't possibly have left behind 10 men to what was an extremely unruly city and where during the festivals they'd expect up to 100,000 extra people. You needed 6,000 men, did you not? So I think that's circumstantial, but it's really important. So Israeli well-known archaeologists, several of them, have all proposed that this is not the site of the true temple. That this is actually the old Ford Antonio. Now if I tell you something that will blow your mind, this western wall here, one of the most well-known Israeli archaeologists Eli Shukron, alive today, two things he's world famous for. Well, he's world famous for more than that, but I'll give you two of the things. He found, he was digging down here underneath the Wailing Wall, and he found a coin under the lowest foundation stone from 20 AD. That meant that this Wailing Wall cannot have been part of Herod's temple because Herod's temple started to be built about 50 years before that. And that therefore this was still part of Fort Antonio being built up and strengthened. The other thing that Eli Shukran discovered, and this was flashed around the world, this was world headlines when it occurred, 2004. Up until 2004, it, the Pool of Siloam had been traditionally thought to be in a place right at the end of Hezekiah's Tunnel. I'll give, show you a photograph. And that had traditionally been the place where pilgrims over hundreds of years had gone to, thinking that that was um, the Pool of Siloam. But in 2004, which is only 14 years ago, Eli Shukran, who's responsible for the archaeology of this place, there's lots of archaeologists constantly digging there, was watching a bulldozer dig because they had to repair a sewage um, pipe and he heard the bulldozer hit concrete and he shouted and screamed and said stop and he knew what it was, he knew it was going to be the pool of Siloam, the real pool and that's what it turned out to be. So the real pool of Siloam was only discovered in 2004 and it's about 70 yards away from the traditional site which was actually built during what's called the Byzantine period, which is the Roman, Eastern Roman Empire. And that was from really about AD 400, 500. And you can prove that archaeologically. So the real pool of Siloam was found. Now that 
has incredible significance because it adds further weight to the fact that if you are going to be having priests being anointed and washed in pure water, you know, they're going to be pretty close to the temple site. And Eli Shukron, with others, has actually found through excavation underneath the city of David what they believe is actually the foundation of Solomon's temple. They found the place where the anointing oil was made. They have found the place where the blood from the sacrifices ran. They found the trenches where it went down. So as you can imagine, this is causing quite a stir. Do you understand the significance of what we're saying here? Because if the Jews are preparing to build the third temple, are they not? They absolutely are committed to it. And everybody's asking, how are they going to do this? Because it will be World War III the instant they start. Now, there are some things that Andy referred to that would obviously mean that wouldn't necessarily happen because it may well be built after Zechariah 12 and, and Psalm 83. But if you're going to start building a temple here, the old Muslims don't care at all. Now, let's go and see some other reasons why that became the Temple Mount. There was actually a Christian pilgrim in 1169 whose um, journeys through Europe, uh, he, not a Christian pilgrim, a Jewish pilgrim, um, whose journeys through Europe are well documented, and he decided that was where the temple was in 1169, and everybody believed him. Furthermore, this issue of a mosque being on the Temple Mount was, in, was really probably to give Islam... Um, superiority architecturally over the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is to the right of the Western Wall, um, so it made it higher. So Islam was above Christianity. So they built this there for political reasons more than anything else. They also changed the site where um, Muhammad is said to have his night flight. So in his night flight, originally it was always thought that the night flight, by the way, is where he fell asleep and he supposedly went into heaven, helped by Gabriel and his winged horse, and met a few prophets up there and came back down. And they changed the site from where he left in about the 13th century. That's well documented. Even Islam scholars will say that. I've looked that up. What, that he left from... from so, sorry, he actually went up from... Mecca and went down there and then went back to Mecca. That's what's supposed to have happened. But that was changed because, as Andy said, the word Jerusalem is never mentioned in the Quran. It's zero times. So this is a, a kind of geopolitical decision made by Islam uh, after it occurred. So, and, of course, it's become folklore. It's well known in science. If you can get hypothesis to go beyond three generations, it becomes theory. That's what happened to Darwinism, by the way. It was only a hypothesis, but it became theory because it got taught through more than three generations. So this becomes really important because, as you know, 
the Jews are preparing the Third Temple. There's a website you can go on called the Temple Institute, which shows you all the stuff they're making. It's absolutely incredible. Now, one of the things that they're waiting for, and I've talked about this in the past, not here, I don't think, is the red heifer. You need a perfect red heifer, numbers 19, and from there you get your waters of purification and you can anoint the priests. Once the perfect red heifer, and there are societies around the world, Jewish societies around the world, in America as well, I've seen the websites, you can, you know, they're looking for the perfect web red heifer. And there have been a number of false alarms, particularly over the last few years. So once they find the perfect red heifer, which means not even one white bit of hair, not even one, and they have people appointed who can actually look at them and examine them, that will, I tell you, the day they see a red heifer, that's the day to prick up your prophetic ears, because things are really stark going and it seems to me that there's just no hindrance to building the third temple there's nothing and Jewish rabbis and senior archaeologists are increasingly realizing that this may well be where the real temples were built and therefore where the third temple should be built now when it comes to building the third temple you could argue you only need a tabernacle I'm just here throwing that out because it means you can build it in like two days. <laughs> I don't think that's what they'll do because they're preparing all the utensils and things. I think they'll build it they more in keeping. Have they? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. So this is the area that you see Charles Warren, who I alluded to earlier, he wanted to get under here. He wasn't allowed to, so he started digging here, hoping that he'd tunnel under. But in the process he found all the other stuff, which was far better anyway. Doesn't God have a good sense of humour? And you'll remember that Islam has never allowed anyone to go under here. Never. Never, ever, ever. Um, and Solomon's stables, which are said to be here, they spent their lives destroying them because they want to get rid of any archaeological um, evidence. Now, I just want to mention something... Um, here. What was interesting about David, and this is a prophetic thing for our times, I, I felt I got this by revelation yesterday, is that in David's time there were two tabernacles. Did you realise that? You can read them in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles. There was one at Mount Gibeon and there was one, David's tabernacle, on Mount Zion. There were two tabernacles. Okay? And there were two high priests in David's time. Who were they? One was Zadok. Huh? Is it Zadok? Zadok. Zadok. And the other one was um, Abiathar. Now, these two high priests dwell together and um, you will know that the tabernacle at Gibeon, which is where Solomon met with God, you know, it's a very famous biblical place, did not have the ark because the ark actually was in the tabernacle of David. So can you see that there were two things going on at the same time? If you like, the law and grace. Because 
under the tabernacle, the only way you could get into the most holy place was actually via uh, a curtain and through the curtain and into the holy place. You could do it via blood. But with David's tabernacle, have you ever thought about this? David's tabernacle, the, the ark was in full view and David never died. So there must be a special grace on David and a special anointing on him to allow to see it. And of course, David's tabernacle was a forerunner of the church. That's what I'm trying to say. That's and why, hmm? That's why the Lord said he would restore David's tabernacle. Exactly, exactly. The point I'm trying to make is that there were two tabernacles. So there was the old law going on at the same time as the new law. Okay? Now this may be a bit of revelation for me, but it's my, my belief and I felt, felt this for Ian, and Andy's been teaching this, that actually we're sort of entering the four seals right now of Revelation 6, yeah? And that causes a problem to people who think that the church is going to be out before the tribulation starts. But there is a type where law and grace are overlapping each other. And so that seems to me to be a good example within Revelation 6 where you can have both happening at the same time, okay? So Revelation 6 is all about the seals and of course that will happen when the church is around. So it means that both are going on. Now just to go back to Zadok and the other priest, the actual line of priesthood during David's time actually went and changed to Zadok because if you remember Zadok was the one who remained faithful to David because he asked David to hurry up and anoint Solomon as his heir. Do you remember that? And there was, if you like, a usurper king called Adonijah and the high priest who was supporting him was the other guy, Abiathar. Now that's incredibly important, believe it or not, because it when the line of priesthood changed to Zadok, it fulfilled the prophecy given to Eli that his sons that his line of high priesthood would be cut off, that is prophesied about. And so, and I have to remember this, but Zadok was from the line of Eliezer, that's one of Aaron's four sons, and the other guy was from actually the line of, I've forgotten, Eliezer and Ithamar. So you remember Aaron had four sons, two of them got killed because they had unlawful fire and the other two survived, okay? So the priesthood line changed in David's time. And, you know, there's been this prophetic thing, are we the line of Zadok? Are we the totally faithful priests? Are we the remnant? Are we the people who are called to be holy unto him? And, uh, you know, yesterday when I was reading about this again, I used to do quite a lot of study into the tabernacle and temple. That's why I find this so fascinating. Is that I was just overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord because of our call to be holy and our call to actually set aside everything. Everything. Because what I'm trying to demonstrate today is that all this is being fulfilled in our lifetime. Can you see it? Nobody knew any of this just over 100 years ago. We're now not only getting revelation in the spirit, we're getting revelation naturally, you know, to become one. And it is absolutely vital that we know the signs, the times in which we live. And we are adopted as a generation for this. We will see this stuff happening.
There's no question. And that's why when I see a picture of Jerusalem, my heart leaps. I feel it's like my home. It's, I feel I want to go, I, you know, I could live in Israel. Woo, I've said that publicly now. Woo! But I could, and actually, I'm allowed to. I could actually do Alia, would you believe? Because I, my great-grandmother was a Jew. And I'm the first son after the third, you know, you go great-grandmother, grandmother, mother, me. So actually, the inheritance stops with me, but I'm allowed, under, under traditional rabbinical law, to do Alia if I wanted to. So I, I actually have a, I just have a love for the Jewish nation and a love for the history and a love for trying to understand a lot of this stuff. Just going to one thing about the Pool of Siloam, the Bible talks about this, it's John 9. But you know, the Pool of Siloam was one of only two places where Jesus did a miracle in Jerusalem. I didn't realise this. Jesus only did two miracles in Jerusalem. That's prophetic, by the way. He did two miracles in Jerusalem. Both of them were by pools. That's prophetic. So he, one uh, miracle was by Bethesda, and that's when uh, he helped the lame man get up because he couldn't get into the pool when the pool was stirred by the angel. And the other one was a man blind from birth that he washed his eyes with mud and said, go and soak yourself in the pool of Siloam. So Siloam means scent. It's rivers of water. Yeah? Traditionally, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they used to draw water out of the pool to take it to the high priest who would receive it with a pool of wine. Jesus, it says in John 7, 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, he stood up and said, whoever believes in me, rivers of life. So he was doing it at the time when they were drawing out water from Siloam, which means scent. He was standing up on that moment saying, I am the river of life. Whoever believes in me, rivers of water, life will flow out from deep within me. Can you see, everything Jesus did was totally, totally prophetic. It was incredible. And that's another reason. So if there's pools of Siloam, could not have been far from where the high priest was standing in the temple to receive it. Yeah? There's a whole load of stuff about the Feast of Tabernacles, which I'm only just beginning to understand. But you will know that the Feast of Tabernacles is yet to come. Now, the third temple will be built. It has to be built because there's going to be a peace treaty and in the halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist enters. And we've seen that as the anti-type of the type that um, Andy's spoken about previously uh, when he's spoken about uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. So, you know, the Bible is full of prophetic insight for our generation. That's what I'm also trying to explain. And this all helps to understand that. And it's no surprise that the world's history is around this area. You know, the other day when I was watching a film of the Six Day War, I, you could just see God in the film with all these Israelis. When I look at Jerusalem, you just know the Lord is there. The awesome presence of God is there. The biggest portal in the world, by the way, 
is over here. Yeah? There is a, there is a medical syndrome called Jerusalem madness. Did you know that? It's a medically re recognised illness because people go mad when they go to Jerusalem. And why do they go mad? These are non-Christians. Because this is the biggest portal in the world between the supernatural and the natural. Recognised and documented. When um, Netanyahu became Prime Minister for the first time, Derek Prince was alive. Huge masses of angels over the city rejoicing. You know, this is history. So, I just want to finish by challenging us to really focus our eyes like never before on the Lord. You know, we at the beginning of the meeting, we actually did some interceding because, you know, God is in this place, is he not? I feel the Lord here. I've seen the Lord here, yeah? And it's, it's just awesome. And it was... Yeah, it never happened to me in a meeting before, but the, I think it was the last talk I gave at the conference. Wasn't that a great conference, by the way? Did you enjoy that conference? It was just, the Lord just showed up, didn't he? Just kept showing up. This is a place where God shows up. This is a place that's going to see revival. This is a place that is going to be, where people are going to be ready for the return of the king. This is a place where holiness is going to be manifest. This is a place where sin is not going to be tolerated. This is a place where there's going to be revelation and insight like never before. This is a place where people will come to drink of the rivers of life. This is a place protected by the angelic hosts of heaven. You are here, not by accident, you are here because of revelation of the king of kings and the lord of lords. And I'll never forget the vision I had when I saw the, you know, Revelation, it was straight out of Revelation, this incredible horse coming through and, and just standing, I mean, it was hugely high. I only saw, I knew the Lord was there. I saw the bottom part of the Lord, you know, on the, on, I knew the Lord was on this horse. And this horse was magnificent in splendour. Magnificent. I can't describe it. It was beyond anything I'd ever seen. The Lord always turns up for his people. And one of the things that Andy and Heidi are doing is to teach us on how to see in the spirit realm more and more and more. And Mark Johnson's helped us that because we're going to need it. We're going to need to have our seeing eyes in the spirit realm more real than our seeing eyes in the natural realm. Yeah, this is just but a shadow of what is in heaven. And we need to study and hear and listen to the word and go on to the end just as the line of Zadok, which is a call to standing up in the face of adversity and what the common languages and what the common views are. We are to stand against that. We are to fix our eyes like flint against Jeru uh, towards Jerusalem, not wavering to the left or the right. And here is a place where we can do that. Let's stand up. Yeah. Is that all right? 
So Lord, I want to thank you for today and ask you, Father, that you fill us with your presence today, that you excite us for more and more of what is to come. Lord, as Andy prayed earlier, we long to see the return of the King. And Lord, may we focus on that day and night and hear you and listen to you and be passionate for you and not give up because, Lord, today is the day of salvation. We are continually being saved. And Lord, we're continually by our determination, our will, being taken from one degree of glory to another because the only work we need to do is to enter into your grace. Lord, so Lord, come and fill us with your presence and come and fill us with your spirit and come and fill us with your overwhelming mercy that we may see the kingdom of God in this place to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.